What's up, guys? Welcome to another kind of episode of True Crime Society podcast. Stephanie and Olivia. I say a kind of episode because we are just going to go over the Chad Daybell arrest affidavit today, really. So it's not a full episode, just like a little snack. Just a bonus mini episode. We're actually going to take a break this week because we have Holly Bobo coming up and the Todd family. And those are a lot of work. And we just were going to try to get it all together. But since this affidavit came out right after we released the podcast, (laughs) which isn't really shocking at this point, we decided we would at least do a little mini update and go through the affidavit and kind of give our thoughts on it. Yeah. And so we'll give updates for other episodes like we usually do when we do the next Holly Bobo one. So this is literally just the affidavit and that's it. Just a quick little one. Maybe we'll talk about Madison Bell next time, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Do you want me to start or how do you want to do it? Yeah. So you start. It's 26 pages long. So yeah. Chad's affidavit, I think, is around 11 pages. Oh, the yeah. It's both. Laurie's. But anyway, so they released it just literally a few days ago. And there was a, a fair bit of new information in there. And I think a lot of things also that confirmed rumors, like I know in our last podcast, we spoke about the raccoon and all that, and that has turned out to be true. So we'll go through it paragraph by paragraph. Some of it we'll read out if it's, you know, really important for word by word. Otherwise, we'll just do a quick summary to save, you know, everyone time and just get everyone the main picture, I think. No unprofessional chit chat. Just kidding. No, no, no getting names wrong. <laughs> um, so, you know, it has all the legal stuff to start and then basically it, it gives a little bit of a background into the case. It says that they were missing and Laurie had been charged with two felony counts of desertion of a minor and all that type of stuff. So well, that's all the stuff that we kind of knew. We won't go into it. Just all the basic background info that yeah. we know already. You know, like dates that they went missing and what has happened so far. And if you want to read the whole document, it is on the blog as well. We've got a link and we've also got the images. So you can go on if you want to read it word for word and check it out. But basically it says that the last, where it gets kind of a little bit interesting, I guess, it says the last verifiable sighting of Tylee was September 8, 2019 in Yellowstone National Park. And the last sighting of JJ was September 22, 2019. So I know that there was a few back and forth about the dates they were last seen. So that is the confirmed dates for both of them. And it also says that JJ was last seen in Laurie's apartment by Laurie's friend, Melanie Gibb. Not the other Melanie. Remember, there's no, two Melanies. <laughs> Pulowski. This is Melanie Gibb. And Melanie Gibb was the one who Laurie asked her to lie for her and say that JJ had been with her and you know she since has told the FBI that that wasn't true so Melanie Gibb seems to be pretty entwined with all this. Um, We've learned also that Alex Cox who was Laurie's brother at the time he's now also dead but at the time he lived in the same apartment complex as Laurie. Um, She lived in unit 175 and he lived in unit 107 which was interesting that they really were super super close. And didn't Melanie also lived there at one point other Melanie or Melanie Pulaski yeah Mm, possibly I'm not sure I don't think that's in the affidavit but I wouldn't doubt it I swear that there's three of them that lived in this complex (laughs) and I was like that's really weird Uh, imagine the neighbors imagine if you were just living there minding your own business and you get all these crazies moving in yeah anyway so what I'll do is this is paragraph eight of the affidavit I'll read it out in full just because I think it is quite interesting and it explains a lot So it says, Laurie Vallow's close friend, Melanie Gibb, has cooperated with Idaho and Arizona law enforcement regarding the investigation of the children. 
Melanie Gibb has reported that from September 19, 2019, through the morning of September 23, 2019, so that's the last days that JJ was seen, she visited Laurie Vallow at her new residence in Rexburg. Gibb reports that when she arrived, Laurie informed her that JJ had become a zombie. Gibb further reports that the term zombie refers to an individual whose mortal spirit has left their body and that their body is now in the host of another spirit. The new spirit in a zombie is always considered a dark spirit. So I know we spoke in the last podcast about dark and light, so this explains what that is. It says, while the dark spirit inhabits the host body, the person's true spirit goes into limbo and is stuck there until the host body is physically killed. As such, the death of the physical body is seen as the mechanism by which the body's original spirit can be released from limbo. This belief was told to Melanie by Laurie. Laurie had learned it from Chad and immediately told Melanie. Melanie was present with Laurie when Chad first taught Laurie this information over the phone in early 2019 in reference to Charles Vallow, who was Laurie's Laurie's husband, now dead husband. So I found that was very interesting that this is obviously early 2019. Charles didn't die till July 2019. So this has all been in the works for a very long time, it sounds like. Yeah. And the other interesting thing, which I'll also read directly, is paragraph nine. So it says, Melanie has further informed me that Laurie Vallow called Tylee a zombie in the spring of 2019. Gibb was on the phone with Laurie and heard Laurie call Tylee a zombie, to which Tylee responded, not me, mum, which I thought was really sad. I know. That's so sad. Imagine living with someone who's that insane and, you know. Yeah, like I wonder what they told her. Hmm. Imagine just one day your mom being like, you're not you anymore, you're a zombie. And you're like, bitch, what the fuck? (laughs) It says, it goes on to say, this arose out of Laurie Laurie requiring Tylee to babysit JJ and Tylee did not want to. Laurie Vallow also told Gibb that Tylee had turned into a zombie when she was 12 or 13, which was approximately the same time Tylee had become difficult to deal with. Oh, you mean they just like grew up? (laughs) No, no, you know, yeah. I know I just imagine your mom saying this to you, but also imagine being an adult and your other adult friend telling you this. Like, wouldn't you be like, are you okay? <laughs> and this is Melanie Gibb as well. So this isn't even Melanie Pulaski. Like Melanie Pulaski was in with the cult and all that. So, you know, I could see if Laurie told her, you'd be like, oh, whatever. That, you know, yeah, I get it. But she'd be I like, yeah, believe- same, I agree. And then the other thing that goes on in paragraph 10 is that Melanie Gibb also knew about the 144,000, it says, Melanie's informed me she was tro- told by Chad and Laurie that they held the religious beliefs that they were part of the Church of the Firstborn and their mission in the church was to lead the 144,000 mentioned in the Book of Re- Revelation. And they also stated their mission was to rid the world of zombies. So I don't know. I, like, I, I agree with you. If my friend was talking like this, I'd be like, what is going on? I wonder, how long did Melanie Gibb know her? Do we know that? I'm not like, sure. They've been friends for a long time. Because it makes me wonder what she was like before this, where that was acceptable behavior from her. Yeah. And like, it does sound like it has been going on for probably a few years at least. Uh, have you ever like actually read about the Church of the Firstborn? I didn't really think it was a real thing, but I guess it's part of LDS. No, I've never actually looked into it. Yeah, I was just trying to give it a skim and see. I don't think it exists anymore, though. It says, <laughs> Church of the Firstborn was a sect of the Latter-day Saint movement that formed an offshoot of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints in 1861 and was involved in the Morrisite War. So I don't think it's a thing anymore. Maybe I'll look into it for next episode, that would be if good. there's any interest in it. Oh, wait, I had a, another part about um, the zombies in the light and dark. I remember... Mm-hmm in that email that 
Chad sent to Lori that Tylee was dark at that point. So she was believed to be a zombie then, too. I'm guessing but JJ thought, yeah. was light in that one. So I wonder what happened to him, like what turned him dark. I wonder if it was Tylee being killed and then he was dark, too. Or yeah. I got, I got, you know, we'll go into it in a minute where he climbs on the cupboards and all that. But maybe uh, yeah. I wonder, uh, I wonder what the actual turning point was where they decided he was a zombie. <laughs> it was the climbing on the cupboards. It's a demon now. <laughs> um, it goes on, you know, it just, just talks about how they served a search warrant to them on January 26th. The children were not there, and they found no evidence of the children. Then it goes on to talk about JJ's schooling. He was registered at the Kennedy Elementary School in Rexburg. He only attended. He, so he started the first week in September um, and the school was in the process of creating an individual education plan for him due to his autism. On September 23, he had an unexplained absence. So September 23 is the day after his last confirmed sighting that we know now. It says on September 24, 2020, which I think is obviously an error, but it says Lori Vallick called Vicky Barton of the Madison School District and informed her that JJ was going to Louisiana with his grandparents and wouldn't be home until the end of October and maybe later. And then she called them again on October 29 and said that JJ was going to be homeschooled. So I wonder if she like set reminders for herself, like <laughs> on the day that she was like, oh, he'll be back in the end of October. And she set a reminder in her phone for like October 29th, call a school and make him another lie. I think it's clear now that he died September 22nd or 23rd. So I don't know what her plan was to, why wouldn't she just tell them on then? Maybe she was panicking, but maybe she, why wouldn't she tell them on September 24th that he was going to be homeschooled? Hmm. She seemed to, I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> I, there was like another incident where I was like, what was the point of that lie? But yeah, yeah. The one, well, the one about, yeah, I don't know, like Tylee being dead when she clearly hadn't been dead that whole Yeah, time. just like dumb shit like that. Like, why bother? Anyway, then the affidavit goes, there's a whole bunch of paragraphs, which we won't read out because I think it'll make your eyes glaze over with times and things like that. But basically what they've done, and we found out why they ended up searching the house, was they looked at Alex Cox's phone records. And it mentions his Google thing, maybe like what we were talking about in the Tyler Davis episode. It says that they tracked him from GPS, cell tower connections, and Google account information. I found a really good article from KUTV where it gives you a summary. So I'll, I'll take some pieces from that as opposed to reading out, you know, 10 paragraphs from the affidavit. But it says, police traced a cell phone belonging to the children's uncle to determine his whereabouts on the day when the kids went missing. And then it says, Chad, uh, Cox's cell phone signal was picked up on Chad's property four times in September. And those dates are September 6, September 9, which remember September 8 was the last day Tylee was seen, September 23 and 25. So September 22 was the last time jj was seen alive so all of those like at least two of those dates correspond with the day it's after. weird that he goes there the day before and the day after for tylee maybe he was just scoping it out yeah well i think maybe for tylee they were maybe preparing hmm. so it says that they actually must have really really been able to triangulate his phone things because it says based on cox's phone location on september 9 which is the day after tylee Police visited a site of interest and dug down to six feet layer of brick. So we are, we're going to detail about them actually finding the bodies soon. But then it says, and the one when they went to the place that he visited on September 23, police located a patch of ground that appeared to be disturbed, and then they found things covered in plastic. So if you look at the photo, the two the areas aren't that far apart. So for them to be able to triangulate exactly, I don't know, that's pretty hardcore to be able to figure out 
for a few meters or feet where they should be digging because like I've just looked at a, a photo of his house and it's basically just a flat block all totally open you can see the neighbors houses so it was pretty brazen for him to do that in the um affidavit I remember part of it through all the dates and locations and stuff one of them was like specifically by a pond on Chad's yep. property I was like wow they really could pinpoint right where he was so if you, if you want to read, you know, the exact times, like they're all in the affidavit, it says, you know, things he was there from 8.59 to 9.21. So you can see the exact times where Alex was in all different places if you want to have a look. We won't go through it, but you, they are available. So we're at um, paragraph 19 now of the affidavit and basically it says that the FBI had been looking into a phone that was owned by Tammy Daybell, Chad's wife, who died. The FBI found a text conversation between Tammy and Chad, which was September 9, and that was the day after Tylee was last seen in Yellowstone. So I'll read the entire conversation out. Chad sent a text to Tammy at 11.53. He's such a dork. This just makes me like, oh. It made me cringe so bad. (laughs) He says, well, I've had an interesting morning. I felt I should burn all of the limb debris by the fire pit before it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun, and he was still walking along. I got close enough that one shot did the trick. He's now in our pet cemetery. Fun times. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on that now, you could just tell how much over-explaining is yeah. happening to cover yeah. his tracks or to make to it do. seem believable. Because, like, first, like, he's burning the things because apparently there's a storm coming, but then he saw yeah. a raccoon, so he hurried to go get his gun. Like, way too many details. It's funny because I mean, I'll, I'll go back in a minute, but it says in the next paragraph that the detectives found this suspicious because raccoons are nocturnal and not usually out during the day. So <laughs> for all his, all his explaining, he didn't actually have a very good story. For all this effort, it came down to a, a raccoon. <laughs> so three minutes later, he, I'm assuming Tammy didn't reply. So three minutes later, he sends another text to Tammy and he says, going to shower now and then go right for a while at BYU. Love you. So she finally seems to reply at 2.47. So about three hours later, and she says, good for you. And then he replies one minute later at 2.48 and says, I'm back home now. That was the raccoon story where that came from. And then it also says in the affidavit that Chad, sorry, Garth Daybell, who's Chad's son, told their neighbours that Chad had shot a raccoon out of a tree on the property these days. So that, and the same person, that's Matt Price, he's the neighbour, he's the one who we spoke about in the last podcast who told the police about the bonfires. Yeah, um, And it has a little bit more information. It says the fire pit in the back of the Daybell property was hardly ever used and then there was frequent bonfires. The first fire they noticed was soon after Tammy's death, which was October 19. Then it goes into some information about, which I find weird, like, you know, I know you bury your pets, but do most people have a dedicated pet cemetery? I have, like, a spot in my yard where we buried, like, one of my dogs and then maybe we would very like smaller pets around there yeah but I still I I still wouldn't be like hey everyone here's my pet cemetery (laughs) (laughs) and he and he actually refers to it as the pet cemetery in that text to Tammy so yeah it's like they both must call it the pet cemetery for them to say it to each other and then doesn't Melanie also know about the pet cemetery or someone there's someone here called Samantha Samantha, I think it's, I don't know if it's, it must be Williams. I think they've made an error, but who's Tammy Daybell's sister. So she says that she was aware of it as Tammy had shown it to her. And she's also said that the um, pet cemetery is in the area where Alex Cox's phone pinged. So everyone just knows about this pet cemetery. Yeah, seems to be. 
Yeah, that's a little overboard. Yeah. Not to offend anyone who has a pet cemetery. <laughs> no, it's just, anyway, I guess nothing could be stranger in this anymore anyway. So just goes into a little bit more information about the pet cemetery. No real information, but, you know, just a bit of backup information. So we're at paragraph 24 now. On June 3, they talk again about interviewing Melanie Gibb and her boyfriend, Dave Warwick. They discussed the weekend of September 22 and 23. So Laurie, they had both stayed at Laurie's house on that weekend. It says she arrived in Rexburg on September 19. Soon after she arrived, Laurie informed Gibb that JJ was a zombie and pointed out behaviours <laughs> such as sitting still and watching t- TV, which is, again, so sad, claiming JJ said he loves Satan and that he also had an increased vocabulary as evidence that JJ was now a zombie. It says Melanie observed JJ's behaviour and felt it to be the same as it always has been. So I think we're getting now to where JJ died. It says the last time Melanie and her boyfriend saw JJ was September 22. It was late and Gib, Vallo and Warwick were going to do a podcast. I want to know what podcast they were doing. Like what? <laughs> Jay, Warwick said that JJ was acting up. So Alex Cox took JJ to his apartment in the complex. When Alex returned later that night, he was carrying JJ, who appeared to be asleep with his head on Alex's shoulder. Warwick specifically remembered this because he saw it as a tender moment. So I have more questions about that. So did Alex stay with JJ that whole time? Um, when it says when he returned later that night, I'm assuming maybe he did stay there. And I, I think this is probably when JJ was killed, personally. I mean, you wonder if drugs. he, like, drugged him or something. Yeah, yeah. Or did they leave him there and did Alex come back and do the podcast and then go again? Who knows? But anyway. Just a casual podcast after a murder. (laughs) Um, So Warwick says that when he woke up the next morning, which is September 23, he asked Laurie where JJ was. This was between 8 and 9 a.m. Laurie told him that JJ had been acting like a zombie and had been crawling on the kitchen cabinetry and had gotten on top of the cabinetry in the space between the cabinetry and the ceiling. She informed them that JJ had climbed upon the cabinetry that he had knocked a photo of Jesus off the refrigerator, a picture, not a photo. Well, that's a fo- it. That's the last straw. And it says Valo then informed them that Alex had come and taken JJ. My first thought of when I think of zombies is them crawling on cabinets mm. and smashing and pictures of they Jesus. Love Satan. So that day Alex's phone was at Chad's at 9.55. So they asked where he was between 8 and 9 and by 9.55 he was at Chad's. He was there until 10.12 and his phone pinged near the pond on Chad's property. Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying before. Yeah. So his visits were short. It says one was 11 or there were 11 minutes and 17 minutes and the visit on the 9th of the 9th, which was the day after Tylee, was the long one, which was two and a half hours. It talks about then when they get to the house to start searching based on Alex's pings. The first site of interest they searched was on the north side of the pond near the north edge of the property. A patch of ground was located that appeared to be disturbed. The weed growth on the top of the disturbed ground was shorter than the surrounding weeds and there was sod etching. The disturbed area was approximately four feet by two and a half feet. It says the FBI team removed the top layer of sod. Underneath were several large flat rocks. The rocks were removed and two pieces of flat panelling were found. The panelling was removed and investigators exposed a round object covered in plastic. So then what they did, it says they used used a sharp instrument and made a small incision on the plastic and then what they exposed was human remains. It says the crown of a head covered in light brown hair. And then it says... 
The remaining dirt was methodically removed, exposing what appeared to be a body wrapped in black plastic. The plastic was tightly wrapped and secured with grey duct tape. So this, I think, these are the remains of JJ. Um, it doesn't actually yeah. spe- specify in there, but I'm pretty sure. I think that so it too. Is JJ. It was four feet by whatever. Yeah, and entirely with like brown hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I know that there's been some speculation in the group because it talks kind of about him being discovered first as his head and then about his body being discovered. So I know some people have spoken about that as if he might have been decapitated or dismembered. I don't I don't read it that way. I think personally they found the head first, like they uncovered the head first, the yeah, head part then, like, of his they body. Yeah, kept digging. Yeah. So but I could I see how it could be read either way. It's not yeah. specific. And it doesn't actually specify. So it could be that that is how, you know, how he was discovered in kind of two separate packages. But I, I think personally. I just feel like his was, head was like above his body more. Yeah. And they when they cut it, that was just like it's not like they cut and found a foot first. They found just found his head first. Yeah. Um, so it says that they, you know, kept probing. They found buried dog and cat remains. And then they also found, this is near the fire pit. Um, once the bricks were discovered, the soil was examined and appeared two bones were located. They couldn't determine straight away if the bones were human, but then they did find some other charred bones, uncharred bones and tissue, and one of the investigators determined that they were human remains. So they were buried in the pet cemetery, and I think that they are Tylee. That's Tylee's remains. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes on to say while they were conducting their search, Chad was just watching where they were doing it. He, was, he observed officers while sitting in his vehicle in the front driveway and then it says that Chad was discovered leaving his daughter's residence in a grey SUV. I and the other officers pursued him in police vehicles, conducted a traffic stop and detained him due to the fact that humans' remains were discovered on his property. So that's it. So we found out a little bit more than what we kind of knew. I think it's weird he just drove off. Like, And I, I found it weird that he sat there for hours. Like, well, I wonder what his plan was in the end with the driving off like well, his plan was maybe, to sit there and watch and until they found something and then drive away apparently maybe he was just hoping that they wouldn't find anything you know they dig one foot or something too far and they wouldn't find anything but um so and there's Laurie's affidavit that was released in february so we won't really go through that today but there's and there's it's a lot of the same information i just found that chad's did have a little bit more than what Laurie's had and yeah. w- We've been through most of Laurie's anyway in the past podcast and everything. Knowing what we do now about how involved Alex Cox probably was, it's so convenient that he died. Yeah. I posted, I think it was on Nate Eaton's, um, one of the posts about it, and I posted as True Crime Society, and I said there is no way Alex Cox died of natural causes. And it had, I think, like a few hundred likes and heaps and heaps of comments from people, no way. Either he killed himself because... Mm -hmm they were getting too close or somehow Laurie poisoned him maybe or something like that. And yeah, it's so I just, hope they are still looking into it. It's way too perfect for them. Yeah. For it to not be suspicious. And the only other update really to the podcast as well, you know, there's other things, but they're all on the blog, but that Chad now has a different lawyer. His uh, attorney, his attorney is John Pryor, not Mark Means. Apparently they realized that it wasn't a great idea or they couldn't both have the same attorney. So yeah, I wonder if that's conflict of interest or something. I just think if it is, like I, I don't know the law, if someone does let us know, but maybe um, surely the attorney should have known that before. If the attorney doesn't even know that, and because he was represented by Mark Means for a, I wonder a if short it changed because they're going to turn on each other. Yeah. Like Lori's going to turn on Chad or Chad's going to turn on Lori because like, they couldn't have the same lawyer then. 
And I know a lot of people have been speculating now that Laurie may get off or may not be charged with murder because essentially it doesn't seem like she actually did kill the children herself. Like it seems based on this that Alex probably killed JJ. I don't know who killed Tylee. Someone, it doesn't really, you can't deduce, like, you know, it could be, we don't know. So if she didn't have anything to do with the actual killings, it's very Charles Manson. Yeah, yeah. I saw someone say that and they're like, she's going to walk. And I saw someone else said, well, Charles Manson didn't walk. <laughs> yeah. So That's I don't know. If, I, I'm, I have no doubt that she absolutely knew what was happening and she was in on it, but she didn't actually kill the children. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm very interested in how they were killed. If we find that yeah. out. I'm sure. I'm guessing we'll find that out if it goes well, to trial. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope so too. Like there's there's no information about the autopsies or anything else. Like as far, the only information we know is how the bodies were found and that one of them at least was burned. So hopefully and I when they when we were talking last time about the egregious way that the bodies were found, I mean that that was also a point maybe that is he was decapitated and that yeah. was what was I know, would consider terrible. that egregious. Me too. And like, you know, burning a body is bad, but it's not Probably it's the worst. Kind of common. Yeah, yeah. Like well, something be, you think it would have to be something kind of a little bit different and way, way, way out there for them to say that. Yeah. But, There's more shock yeah. factor to decapitating a seven-year-old. So yeah, yeah, and burying his body in two pieces. But you know, again, we don't know if that's what actually happened. It read does could read like that, but it also just depends on how you take it. Yeah, I didn't read it that way. But it, when people started saying that, I was like, oh, I guess I could see that being what yeah. they said. But. Yeah. It does seem that Alex was a, a massive player in all this. Yeah. I just I feel like there's a lot of stuff we're not gonna get answered. But maybe yeah. because if they turn on each other, they might be giving more information about why the other one is more crazy than they are. I read a comment about Chad in jail and it said that he's very quiet and he just sits and spends his day reading spiritual books and, and writing scripture. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like they probably haven't turned on each other yet, but maybe, who knows? We don't know. I'm just basing it on. I feel what, like one what, of their, except like we said in the first time we did this, I was going to say, I feel like their only defense is turning on each other and blame the other one, but they could also conveniently blame it all on Alex Cox because he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know. I think uh, Chad's preliminary trial Preliminary here is still set for July at this stage. But then I think I did read that Justin said they might be pushed back. Mm. But anyway, we'll have to wait and see what happens. That's really it. We said it was just a little baby episode. So, <laughs> I mean, it's better than nothing. So I hope you guys like yeah. it. <laughs> and I know sometimes these documents are hard to read and, you know, so it's just good to have a bit of a summary sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of addresses and dates and times, times yeah. that – you can just kind of skim through. So, Anyway, the blog is totally up to date. There's two parts of the blog. Part two is the most recent one. If you just scroll down to the bottom, it's got all the recent updates at truecrimesociety.com. Is it? Until next crime. <laughs>